we left off at Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, 29, and I'd like us to start from there. Tell your neighbor, tonight is a night of prayer. People go to the gym to get muscles. We go to pray. To get what? Spiritual muscles. Prayer muscles. Amen. But we are not praying aimlessly like children firing blanks. Our study, our focus right now is to find strategies that bring results. Amen. Amen. The Bible says in Romans 8:29, for those who for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many. Continue. And those he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'll read that again. What then can we say in response to this? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, who will, who will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We can stop there for now. This scripture is pointing out the fact that in God's mind, there is a plan. In God's mind, there's a layout of the way things can happen for you and me. There's no question. But I like what Paul is asking. What then is our response to this knowledge? The Bible says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. Tonight we want to know a certain kind of knowledge on the systems of the courts of heaven. How are things de decided? Our lives as mortals is, as, are characterized by not having control on things. Yes, you're praying. Yes, you're fasting. Yes, you've done this. But there's a, there's a weakness. There's a mortality we feel because we have no control on things. The Bible we have looked to for many years and dwelt so much on portions that only sanitize our sin but very few of us have taken time to understand the power that we have received from this Bible. Tonight, I want us to focus on dwelling in the courts of the Father. Last Sunday, we talked about, we used Psalm 91 to make a prayer. To just understand what it means. It's like visiting God's sitting room and wondering, okay, this is what happens. When you, when you hang around him, this is what happens. But alas, there are other levels of the courts of the Father. Many of us have dwelt in that place where, oh, mungu woye, mungu woye, isn't it? Eh, nirumie, 
do something, Lord Jesus. But the Bible says that he has given us power to trample over serpents and scorpions. Have you read that in your Bible? He has given us power to condemn every tongue that rises up against us in judgment. Have you read that scripture? There is an, a thread of authority that many of us don't take that seriously. And that is our focus tonight. Last, last, the previous Sunday we talked about our lives being written in a book. Let's go back to the beginning of this scripture. 29 please. Our lives being written in a book. And we said that everything concerning our lives has been written down. We are the workmanship of Christ. The Greek translation for the word workmanship is not the fundi wambao kind of thing. It's about a writing. It's about a poem. It's about saying this is what Zach's life will be like. And in him I will give a blessing. And through him I will deliver so and so. And through him I will speak my gospel to so and so. Everything regarding your life has been written. So when the scripture says, for those God foreknew, he predestined. The ones whose substance he already knew, he knows this one, this one is, this one. Have you, have you walked through? How many like to buy clothes? Oh, ladies, put your hands up. Don't even think twice. Put your hands up. When you walk through a shop, there's a way you like to touch the fabric. What are you looking for? You're testing the quality of it, isn't it? There's a way you look at the colors. You, for the men, they look at how the car, you know, whether the finishing was done. He vizuri. Somebody. Yeah? This car, there's a sound. Have you ever been asked by a man, did you hear that sound? And you're like, what sound? All I hear is an engine going vroom. He's like, there's a sound. Why? Because their ears are tuned to hearing something. Whether it's working well or it's falling apart. Each one of us has been graced with a different way of assessing quality. The Bible talks about the Lord for a new. There is a quality about you. And then he decides, he predestined to conform you to his likeness. He picks that and says, yeah, 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 this is not the kind you put here. This is the kind you put here. The Bible speaks about different vessels in the house. Have you heard that? Some for this use, some for that use. The Lord is continually trying to illustrate that each one of us have a purpose. Yesterday we attended a fellowship very briefly and they were talking about the, the parable of the talents. And the one was given five and another one was given uh, two and the other one was given one. Yeah? But each one of them, the Bible says, was given according to their ability. The one who received two was not expected to bring ten. He was given two, not six, not eight, but just two because his capacity carried as such. There is a knowledge that the Lord has of you and I. He says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And can I finish it off and say, he knew you and predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. The Bible says that when Adam sinned, it was already decided in heaven that the Lord Jesus was going to die even before Adam sinned. Are you following with me? I'm trying to simplify it in such a way that there is a script that God has of your life. By 
Now when he says he predestined to conform you, he doesn't mean that you lose your free will. It is that I have this option and you have this option. When we walk into salvation, we purpose to conform to the likeness of his son. When we stay outside salvation, we still operate, we still walk well, we still look like we're doing well, but we are just a mirror, an image. And that's why there's so much emptiness. We look like we are making it, isn't it? But only the banker knows how many debts we have. Only the wife knows how many weaknesses we have. We put on a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. When he's calling us to walk in the likeness of his son, he's calling us to the power thereof. When he talks about predestined to be in the likeness of his son, meaning that the Lord Jesus was already destined to walk a path to show you how it is to come from here and to hear and to work with God in getting his kingdom and his will done on earth. Are we together so far? Amen, amen. Let us go to let us go to Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 starting from verse 6. Job chapter 1 starting from verse 6. We want to see how the court operates. The last time we dealt with this topic, we said and we cried out to God in prayer that the books concerning our lives should be open and begin to operate in our lives. But you may ask yourself, but how does this, this courtroom work? Remember when Lucifer was still an angel of God. The Bible describes him as walking on fiery mountains. Have you seen that scripture? Let me see if I can find it for you. But we'll get back to we'll get to it later. But it describes that Lucifer used to walk before the throne of God. Yeah? So even when he is fallen, he doesn't stop the habit of walking before the throne of God. How do we know that? Let's look at Job chapter 6. No, Job chapter 1 verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. Some versions say the sons of God gathered before the Lord. And Satan did what? He gathered with them. And the Lord said to him, Where have you come from? He answered the Lord, From roaming from the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to him, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. God is showing him off. Job had no problems until Jesus became proud of him. But the devil challenges that. And he says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds spread throughout the land. 
but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely cast you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Verily then, everything he has is in your hand, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went from the presence of the Lord. When the Bible speaks of the devil roaming the earth to and fro, it is something that he used to do in the heavenlies. He dwelled in the very courts of the Father. And to dwell in the very courts of the Father was to, to be familiar with the legal system, with what makes the Lord tick. When he now falls from that glory, he descends to a level where he still counterfeits the truth, but now he's looking, the Bible says, for whom to do it? To devour. When the Lord shows Job off to the devil, he's saying, I know you have walked around him and found nothing to accuse him. But Job says, but the devil says, but Job is only worshipping you with a wrong motive. This scripture brings us to a place where there is an accusation. Tell your neighbor there's an accusation. There's an accusation against Job's life. That is the business of the devil, to find accusation. To find accusation. If he can't find it in your doing, he will find it in your motives. That's why the Bible says, Search my heart, O God, and know me. See if there's anything in me that does not bring glory to you and weed it out. I'm paraphrasing. But this is how the enemy presents himself before the Father. He stands there with accusations. The reference of the devil standing with accusations against Job or anyone in the Bible is not limited to Job. Let's look at Luke. Luke 22:31 Luke chapter 22:31 and 32 Jesus makes reference to accusations that have been done against Peter in the heavenlies Simon Peter this is the Lord Jesus speaking Simon Simon Sam, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail, and when you have turned back, you strengthen your brothers. What conversation is the Lord talking about? Satan has asked for you, or Satan has accused you. He's saying, give me Simon. Why is he attacking Simon at this point? Remember, at this point in Luke 22, Jesus has not yet even died. He has not yet been resurrected. He has not yet been done anything that qualifies him for high priest. So when he says, I have prayed for you, he's not prayed for him as the high and mighty priest that we know. He has prayed for him as a man. That point is very important. The Lord Jesus made a lot of intercession during his days of ministry. Meaning he presented himself before the Father like the sons of God. And there's an accusation against 
Simon Peter. He wants to, he knows Peter's weaknesses. He has temper, he has what? But he's going for Simon before the resurrection. Why? Because he already knows that Simon's destiny is bigger than just his big mouth. Do you think the devil will wait for you to manifest before he will attack you? No. Look at the genocide or the infanticide that happened when Moses was born. Let's talk about Jesus' infanticide version. That's how precise he wants to deal with us. May the Lord forbid that we should handle him also carelessly. When I ask that we have authority tonight, I'm speaking that the enemy we are dealing with is not a joke, but we are greater. When someone walks in here with a tiny dog, you look at it, oh, it's so cute, until the thing bites somebody. All of us will walk away and say, yes, it's cute, but it's dangerous. So the Lord is speaking that I have interceded for Simon before the throne of God, but he has not done it as the high priest that we see after the resurrection. He has done it as a man. It was so crucial to the Lord that he does his ministry as a man. The Bible speaks about the devil tempting him, saying, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Most of us translate that scripture to mean, oh, Jesus was so hungry. Even Jesus was tempted. No. The devil was trying to tempt him to use his God powers. But he decided he will come as a man. The Bible speaks, he did not consider being a part of God anything to... Let's read that scripture. Philippians 2, 6. Thank you. What I'm trying to do is to make us understand that we qualify to stand before the courts of heaven. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This is what the devil was attacking when he said turn these stones into bread. Use your God powers. Come on, you can. You don't have to do it. Why? Because if he had used his God powers, that would disqualify him from saving us. Adam sinned as a man. Jesus being the second Adam needed to take on the task as man, fully man. That's why the Bible says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made human, being made in human likeness. Continue. And being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He lowered himself so low to make sure none of us has an excuse to say, I don't qualify. And that is why, because of that, he has been given a name that is above any other name. Because of that, he qualifies as high priest. 
What was the job of the priest? The job of the priest was to give God legality to bless. It was the job of the priest to give God a reason to bless beyond your sin. That's why he took all the sin and put it on this goat and the goat was sent away and Israel was blessed. But now we have a high priest who has not preserved himself. He has lain himself completely that you and I might have access. Access to what? Everything that Jesus did, he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. That is what the baptism at the Jordan was about. It was after baptism at Jordan that now we have miracles that matter. Don't tell me about wine. You say wine was a miracle. Wine was a miracle, you drunkards. Eh? <laughs> but after he was filled with the Holy Spirit at Jordan, then he goes into the desert. Then we see all the miracles that follow. But all those he did by the Spirit. That's why he says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news. To set the captives free. To open blind eyes. Not the power of God is upon me. I am God. Have you met me? Some of us if we were the sons of God. My God. There is a beauty in the submission to the Lord. The fulfilling of purpose based on the Holy Spirit. That is how we break the seals in the book. That by His Spirit, the one who He has called a wonderful counselor, a comforter, by His Spirit He will teach you all things. He will teach you that, do you know Joyce, you have an anointing to actually see sickness before it manifests. And you're like, what? These eyes? Yes. But how will you manifest? There are moments people come here for ministry and they say, you know, I had a dream and there's something I saw. And it's why? Because there's an eye that's opening somewhere and we're not too sure. Was I dreaming? Was it a vision? Was it a trance? Oh God, what does this mean? So because we have no understanding, we abandon the whole thing. Everything that is within you, everything that is within you, the Holy Spirit was called to activate. It was after they were filled, the Bible says that Jesus said to them, wait in Jerusalem, wait for the filling of the Holy Spirit. A comforter will be sent. And after that, they were to go to the nations. That is the reason he did not turn stones into bread. It's not that he forgot the password. He was working hard to make sure that he does it in such a way that even you can do it and much more. That's why he said, these things I do, you shall do even more. If he has qualified to stand before the throne, he's calling us joint heirs. Am, am, I, am I speaking to someone? Does this excite you? And I'm not trying to excite you. I'm telling you that is who you are. So that you stand before the throne of God and make 
a plea. And walk out. Because let me tell you something. Everything that goes on in our lives is based on legality. Do you have the legal rights? Peter, we know. Jesus, we know. Who are you? Job is only worshipping you because you've protected him. Let's check his motives. Then the children go. Then the cows go. Then the donkeys go. Then the wife goes. But notice that Job only received his redemption when he interceded for the very people who should have helped him. The purity of Job's heart was qualified by him refusing to be bitter. He was justified in being bitter. He had everything. Oh my goodness. He used to sacrifice every morning. Was it morning and evening? I think even afternoon. Or maybe one just, just in case. I think you'd put extra, you know, extra uh, a goat lamb side there. Let, let, no, you know, Reuben can be naughty. Let's, the Bible speaks of him guarding his household with prayer and intercession and making sacrifice. And yet, even with all that, the thing he feared the most came to his doorstep. I love the fact that the Lord is not unjust. When you continue on and read the story of Job back all the way to 42, chapter 42, verse 10, the Bible says that the Lord restored Job, giving him double of what he lost. But the Job that was there in chapter 1 is not the same Job that we have in 40, 42. This is the man who knows that, yes, I can trust the Lord. Was it unfair to give him, to make him a display? Maybe. But it was such a privilege for him to know that after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous. Job had to rise up beyond himself. Job had to rise up beyond his feelings. And step into an intercessory place, which is your heritage, you and I. Are we together? Tonight, I want us to stand before the courts of heaven. But to qualify to stand before the courts of heaven is something that we have to walk in without blemish. And that's a hard place, isn't it? That's a hard place. But Jesus has given us the key. He has. Revelations chapter 12 verse 10 tells us that, that Satan is the accuser. That is his role. Accusers only stand before courtrooms. They don't do it on the streets. Then I heard a loud voice in the heavens. Now have come the salvation. Let me read from here. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. 
But sometimes this accuser has legal ground. He has legal ground. Where does he get this basis? From a lifestyle. That's why the lifestyle of holiness is key. If you've spoken to ministers of God or even just ordinary saints and they tell you, you know, I think the devil has legal ground. What are they talking about? Your unforgiveness gives legal ground for cancer. Have you heard that before? You have been speaking court language all along. Nobody has ever titled it for you. Tonight I want to title it. It is not beyond you. It is not beyond us. That is where you win the battle. So that when the Father says pursue, overtake, and retrieve, you know you are pursuing. We are engaging with heaven from a place of victory. But because most of us have not taken time to understand the war. Have you ever seen someone score a goal for on the wrong side? Those of you who love football. The man runs with all his energy. And people are screaming, stop, stop. But the man is going with the ball. Yeah? And he scores an own goal. Most of us are scoring an own goal. Why are we scoring an own goal? Because we have probably forgotten which goalposts we are ascribed to. How do we do this? We make accusation against our husband. Lord, save my husband. And then you sit down with your sister and you say, you know my husband. But I don't even know what the Lord should do for him. The man drinks. The man is such a liar. You are taking part in the accuser's side. And disqualifying yourself from standing as an intercessor. When Daniel speaks of intercession for the, the tribe of Israel, he interceded of the sin and his own sin that he might qualify to stand and counter the accusation that's been given day and night. Are you hearing me? That is why we've been taught that your words ensnare you, but your words can also set you free. When Paul says, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. What is he doing? He's countering a statement that's around. But he's saying, but I know. But I know. My Redeemer lives. I know. And I'm persuaded that he is able. Now to him who is able to do. Paul is giving us a language that's beyond complaining and murmuring. We have prayed and fasted. These things don't work. Let's go home and watch a movie. Commando. There's a movie we used to call Katambara. Katambara. Do you know what? Katambara is a cloth in our language. It was a war bath. Any of you who knows that movie, you're very old. Wobas, there was a man who had tied a band on his head. But he would jump in slow motion. Then you hear people giving an illustration. Katambara gave him a gun. Eh? And that's the realm we have reduced ourselves to. 
when we have an opportunity to stand and make law. I'm not speaking of a language that's beyond you. I'm not speaking of something that's limited to the prophets. This afternoon I was joking with a friend of mine about how we are so addicted to people laying hands on us. Come, come lay hands on me. A priest qualified to make his own sacrifice won't step forward because he hasn't understood who he is. There is a throne. There's a, there are different levels of the courtroom. But there's one that has access, has given each one of us access. As in it's very easy to access. Do you know it? Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 14. Hebrews chapter 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. One of the things you need to know about royalty, when the king sat on his throne, it wasn't because he had no other seat to sit. He sat there specifically to make judgment. He sat there specifically to make decrees. So when the Bible is calling us to approach boldly the throne of what? The throne of grace. That we might receive mercy and then grace to help us in our time of need. That is a transaction of, I'm not worthy, but I have a need. And Lord, I know you can do it. Why are we approaching boldly? Because we have a high priest who understands. That is why it was important he dies as a man. Somebody clap for Jesus. So that you may never feel disqualified. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.20 I apologize for the many scriptures, but it's about church, isn't it? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors through God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. All that he has done at the cross, the dying, the beating, the proclamation, the writing in the book cannot happen until we be reconciled to God. While we were yet sinners, he died. He has done his part, but we have a part to play. If we refuse to receive the gift of salvation, we cannot be ambassadors. We cannot make appeal through God. 
Yes, he is God, but he still needs us. He still needs us to let his kingdom come and his will be done. Are we not called the church? Do you know what church means? In Greek, it's ecclesia. A word that not just, it's not about the building. It's a governmental authority by which we bind things in heaven and they are bound on earth. We lose things in heaven and they are loosed on earth. Where is that authority coming from? We make decrees with that capacity of authority. But if we don't have that capacity, if we don't have that authority, we don't have that understanding of the authority we carry, then nothing that he has done matters. It is all going to waste. That's why Paul is saying, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Why? Because it is good for us. So that we might be alive together with him, Colossians 2, 13 to, 15, 13 to 15, that we might be alive together with him. There's a partnership that the Lord wants with you and me. He could do it all by himself. But that's how selfless he is. To actually bring the books that we've been talking about into fulfillment, he needs us. Tell your neighbor, the Lord needs you. When it comes to your family, the Lord needs you. Tell them that. When it comes to you, the Lord needs you. When it comes to this ministry, the Lord needs you. We speak of standing and being counted. That is our call tonight. That is our call tonight. So how do we access the courtroom? We are qualified, aren't we? By now you know you're qualified. You, are you not still feeling qualified? It's still itching somewhere. You're like, eh, but <laughs> uh, I still need my priest. Do you know you're qualified? How do we access the courtroom? Especially this very simple one. The throne of grace that we might receive mercy. We start with repentance. If you've ever wondered why a lot of ministry always starts with repentance. Why? Because we want to deny the enemy a hold, an accusation. Okay? Why do people go to court? Someone has an accusation, isn't it? We have a plaintiff and a defendant. This man always cuts his tree and the branch falls in my garden. And he doesn't pay the damages. And then the court decides who is going to pay for your beans. There's always an accuser. We go into repentance so that we can remove every accusation. We don't justify ourselves. Remember Romans was talking about a journey. To them he called. He predestined. And then he justified. To them that are justified, he did what? He glorified. Glorified not in the sense that now you have a glow. You look glorious. No. You have a power that's beyond 
what you have always known. Like Paul or like Stephen, you smile. People are here to stone you, to cut off your head. But you say, I see the Lord, high and exalted. You have transcended your physical body. But that's a topic for another day. Are we together? So we come in with repentance. When we repent, we repent of our sins. Then we also repent, especially when you're doing intercession. You repent for your sins. Then you repent for the person you're trying to pray for. But you also have to remember to repent for the comments that you have made that have given the enemy legal ground over these people. Especially people who carry authority. You're a husband, you speak ill of your wife. You're a wife, you speak ill of your husband. You're playing into the other camp such that you're praying but it's not working because there is an accusation. You speak negatively. Matthew 12:36. Let's look at it very quickly. We're almost there. Matthew 12:36, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the judgment day for every careless word they have spoken. Other Bibles say every idle word meaning a word that has no, then why did you say it? Especially the words we say and we don't mean them. You know the ones we say out of emotion, out of anger, but deep down in our hearts we know, no, they're not like that. The devil doesn't joke with such things. He uses them. So when we come before the throne, we do repentance not just for ourselves. We also do for the things that we have given that have empowered the devil to have legality of our families. My family is very disorganized. My family is very ah, watch out too. Mungu awasaidie. Says the intercessor, disqualifying ourselves from standing in the gap and saying, "Lord, we have sinned." The Bible speaks about the Lord wiping away every accusation. Have you read that in your Bible? Once we are done with repentance, once we are done with cleaning the slate, we go into prophesying and decreeing what is in the books. We talked about this last, the last Sunday, the other Sunday. We said that what is written in the books is the desire of the Lord towards your life. The desire of the Lord towards your life is looking at you. He's saying, you'll be a great man. That is where we have the ministry of the prophetic. Some of us can't, don't have no idea like what, what, why was I even a girl? Have you ever come to that point where you say, Lord, why wasn't I made a boy? Oh, people have crisis. You think your crisis was bad. People have bad ones. Why was I made a girl? Probably because what your destiny requires that you be a girl. Some of us are working so hard to become boys. We even start bouncing. You see that in high school. A girl sagging. You know? Talk about crisis. 
But we need to prophesy. Prophecy is that the Bible says, prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. In a courtroom you have one side giving its accusation and then the other side says something, isn't it? You've heard about the witness's testimony. I know you've watched those movies. The prophecy is the testimony of the Lord Jesus. The testimony of what the Father already wanted to happen in your life. When you say, I decree and declare, I will live, I will not die. Have you seen it in your Bible? Yes. To as many as believed him, he gave the, the power to become what? Sons of God. Are you prophesying against, over your life? Yes. But you get legality to make that prophecy after you've done your repentance. After you've stepped in right standing. And we need to understand why that's important. Because the enemy, your accuser, goes back and forth looking for who he shall devour. You or me to qualify himself to distract you. Some of us are biting the hand that feeds us. And wonder why we are not blessed. You benefit from somebody but you don't speak well of them. And everything you get from them, it never seems to materialize. There's a caveat over your head. By your own words. By our own actions. Let's look at Matthew 6. This is the second last scripture we're looking at. Then we're going to pray. Matthew 16, sorry. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Matthew 16, verse 18. And also I say to you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of heads shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. To make such a decree, you need to stand in your authority. That was the whole idea of the cross. To establish a people who will bring the government of the Lord on earth. That's why we pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. How many are willing to cooperate with the Lord? How many are willing to work with the Lord? That is what he's calling us for today. There are so many cases in our lives. Things that we have been pushing and not understanding why they are not pushing. They are not moving. Could there be a legality that hasn't been dealt with? Because the Lord is in the business of reconciliation. Not trauma. Not tormenting. I'd like to close with Zechariah chapter 3. And as I do, I'd like to also invite us to just take time and do a study. There's a lot. Zechariah chapter 3. Verse 1 to 7. This is Zechariah talking, being shown Joshua, the priest. 
the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed in filthy rags and was standing before the, the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, this is Zechariah now saying, Let them put a cloth turban on his head. So, that, so they put a cloth turban on his head. And they put the clothes on him. The ones that the Lord had recommended. Okay? And the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my commandments, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge over my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. Your cry, your desire for holiness is not empty. It gives you access to more courts. Do you understand what we are saying? While the Lord spoke of removing the iniquity from him, the prophet spoke of a turban on his head to undo everything. Joshua was in filthy rags because he was not holy at that point. But for the sake of the destiny of Jerusalem, the Lord redeemed Joshua. For the sake of the destiny in you, for the sake of the destiny in your life, the Lord is working hard towards saving you, not just for your comfort, but for the people whose salvation depends on you. For the people whose victory depends on you. The people whose deliverance depends on you. The people whose marriage depends on you. It is not uncommon for the Lord to look beyond what is here. The Bible says that, but for the joy set before him, he despised the shame. It is a DNA of God to look at the most important thing and focus on that. Abraham was forgiven many sins, lying that his wife is, 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 is his sister. He was afraid. And the Lord should have struck him with blindness or something. But this is the carrier of Israel, the tribe. Your destiny is very important to God. This scripture tells us, for Jerusalem, Joshua was sanctified. And the prophet recommends 
that they put a turban on his head to undo every mentality of accusation over him that is keeping him from operating as high priest. Tonight, I'd like to invite us to step up. To step up and do business with God. To step up and partner with God. To step up and agree to be reconciled with God. Why don't we stand to our feet? You ask yourself, where do I start? Where do I start? I say to you, you have received the Spirit of the Lord, by whom you cry, Abba, Father. But the same Spirit that you have received is not one that you might fear, but is a Spirit of love, of power, and a sound mind. Fix your eyes on the Lord. Shift them away from yourself. You were never meant to do this battle by yourself. Some of us have a list. How many have a list of things you've been praying to God about that are not shifting? You have a list. Do we have a formula now? Do we have a place to start? Yes, we have a place to start. And I want us to address those issues tonight very boldly. But before we go into prayer, I'd like to invite my brother, Apostle Joshua. That even as we prepare to pray, that the Lord will give us an understanding of who we are. That when we stand before the Lord and say, Lord, this debt has not been paid. Then show me what is giving this misfortune legality in my life. But otherwise, Lord, if there's no accusation, I ask and I plead and I decree that let it be done according to your will and according to your purpose. There's nothing that's impossible with God. There is nothing that's impossible with God. I say to you once more, there's nothing that's impossible with God. There's nothing in your life that the Lord cannot quench. There's nothing in your life that He cannot overturn. There's no verdict in our lives that the Lord is not able to save us from. Tonight we cooperate with you, Lord Jesus. We cooperate with you, Lord Jesus. We stand in a place, O oh God, to rise up to a place of authority, the place where you have called us, O oh God, to be rulers with you, Lord Jesus. 